My life is really um, complex. There are things about me that you wouldn't understand. Now playing's Batman Movie Retrospective Series. Gentlemen, let's broaden our minds. Part of the Now Playing DC Comics Movie Series. Ah, uh, gives a fella a good feeling to know they're up there doing their job. With our all-star hosts, Jacob the Dark Knight. Oh, he's over-eager, he's impulsive. I can't trust him not to get hurt. Stuart, the boy reviewer. That's not a man. That is a god. And the clown prince of podcasting, Arnie. There's something about an anatomically correct rubber suit that puts fire in a girl's lips. Each week at NowPlayingPodcast.com, we'll be watching another Batman film, ending with a weekend of release review of Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight Rises. What are you protecting me from? Have you ever danced with a spoiler in the pale moonlight? This podcast will contain detailed plot spoilers and mild language. What do you suppose something like this does to a kid? Listener discretion is advised. Enough monkey business. We've got work to do. Here we go. Today we're discussing Batman and Robin, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger, George Clooney, Chris O'Donnell, Uma Thurman, Alicia Silverstone, Pat Hingle, Michael Goff, John Glover, Elle McPherson, Vivica A. Fox, Elizabeth Sanders, Jeep Swinson, John Fink, Michael Reed McKay. Don't forget about Coolio. Coolio. <laughs> Kimberly Scott. I, there's a lot of people in this movie. <laughs> Black people, even. <laughs> Two of them. Briefly. <laughs> One speaking line each. I'm Ani, your cold-hearted host of Now Playing. <laughs> I'm just going to be laughing this whole podcast. I may not even say words. It might just be variations on giggles. But it's Stuart in L.A. There's something about an anatomically correct rubber suit that puts a fire in a podcaster's lips. This is Jacob. What's between your lips again? Mm. (laughs) Anatomically correct rubber. (laughs) Jacob, don't you do that on your own time, really? Not during the podcast. When it's a Schumacher film, you do it. Yeah, and is this ever? You know, if people complain that Batman Returns was too Burton and that he just made it too goth and not action-y and comic book enough, well, I think Schumacher proved that this 
second attempt was just as deadly, more, way more deadly for his vision and where he was taking the project last. I want to start off right away with an apology. I know that I implied that there was little to no difference last time. Between Batman Forever and Batman and Robin. And I got schooled. I got schooled this week good and hard. I'm so glad. I'm so (laughs) glad. That makes me so happy. Now, you said the Schumacher's vision. This wasn't Schumacher's vision. This is Schumacher's product, and he will take full responsibility for his product. If you listen to the commentary, he says he's an adult and he went into this eyes wide open. But this isn't what he wanted to make. He thought the success of Batman Forever would give him the creative freedom to make... Maybe he's lying, because this doesn't sound right to me. He's lying, yeah. But what he says he wanted to make is a small, gritty little Batman film. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) yeah. Clearly, that's what he wanted. I can see it in every frame. Based on the comic Batman Year One. What? This is supposed to be Batman Year One. No, that's what he went to the studio and pitched. Oh, okay. He thought that he'd have the clout to make whatever he wanted. After all, it worked for Burton. And when he got to the studio, the studio was like, oh, that's a very interesting idea. No, here are the people from Mattel. They're going to tell you what to make. And honestly, the Batmobile in this designed by the toy company all the guns in here designed by the toy company apparently they just kept telling him we need a movie that's more toyetic is that a word (laughs) oh in hollywood it is it is apparently toyetic and it's so that they could make the real money on the ancillary income not on the movie which was totally different than batman forever which everybody thought was going to bomb Yeah, the original Batman, Tim Burton was satirizing the very greed that's now at the helm of this. It's very clear that money men are making all the creative shots. That said, I still feel like you can make a movie full of toys and not have it turn out like this. We're spoiling nothing by saying that this is notoriously one of the most hated movies, I think, of all time. We've done worse movies, but none that have been so universally derided. What about Howard the Duck? (laughs) It was hated at the time. Definitely, other than Arnie, I think most people always knew that that movie sucked. Uh, But this is Other than me? Thank you. I'm sure there's got to be others who were on my (laughs) side. (laughs) Find them. I don't know. (laughs) But, you know, Batman Forever was a huge hit, and people wanted more of that. They wanted that Batman. They weren't pining for what had been lost with the exit of Burton. They wanted Schumacher to keep going in this direction. And, well, eat it up, folks, because you're at the parade and the Smilex is dousing you. And <laughs> people were shocked. I did not see this movie in theaters. This is the first Batman movie I didn't go. I finally won. I didn't want to see Batman Returns in theaters, but Arnie made me. And I didn't want to see Batman Forever in theaters, but there was a heat wave, so I went it. But you couldn't find a theater cool enough. <laughs> no way. And every time I ran into someone that was like a trauma victim, they'd run up like they'd just been in an auto accident, grab me in both arms and be like, have you seen Batman and Robin? I was like, it actually made me curious. After a while, I was like, well, could it have been that bad? And by the time it rolled around on DVD, I did check it out just out of wicked curiosity, uh, you know, sitting down with fork and knife to eat it up. But 
I never had to endure this as an unsuspecting audience member would have in theaters in 1997. I think it should be telling. Batman 89 comes out and I'm like, eh, maybe I'll see it. All right, I'll go. I'm hearing good things. Batman Returns comes out. I'm like, Batman! 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 <laughs> We're doing drive-bys on Toys R Us. Yeah. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> we went to Toys R Us on our way to Batman Returns. I was not exaggerating. Yes, we really were. Batman Forever. I'm like, yeah, right. Maybe I'll see it. See it a couple weeks out. Batman and Robin. Batman! 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 I couldn't have been more excited. <laughs> I couldn't have been more hyped. <laughs> I didn't buy toys. I didn't read comics. Didn't own a Mr. Freeze? No, I was purely Star Wars collecting at that point. I did not own any toys. But you know what? I was so excited. I'll give you a handful of reasons why. First of all, George Clooney. I was not a fan of ER. I actually didn't watch ER the first season. This is your love for Revenge of the Killer Tomatoes? <laughs> you like George Clooney in 1997, but not for ER? What else had he done? From dusk till motherfreaking dawn, baby. From oh, dusk till true. dawn. That's true. I had forgotten about that one. That's right. I love From Dusk Till Dawn. I love George Clooney in From Dusk Till Dawn. I want to be George Clooney in From Dusk Till Dawn. I want those tats. I want that cool. It's because George Clooney was so good in From Dusk Till Dawn and Tarantino directed an episode of ER that I decided, oh, I'll check that ER show out. So having somebody who I loved in a movie that I loved as much as I loved From Dusk Till Dawn as Batman, that was even better than Kilmer for me. And then Chris O'Donnell was back, and I liked him when I was that age in Batman Forever. I was excited that he was going to get to be Robin throughout the whole movie. I was a little disappointed on some of the other casting, but overall, the two stars of this film and how good Batman Forever was, I was so ready for Batman and Robin. I walked out feeling like I'd been in a prison scene. I can only imagine how much it would have hurt. And like I said, I took malicious joy in watching people that were telling me how great Batman Forever was, how pain this movie made them. But at the same time, nobody deserved this. (laughs) Well, hell, I didn't deserve it. I never saw it. I didn't like Batman Forever. By the time this came out, I was traveling. I was living in some islands in the Pacific. And so I don't even know what the hype was around this film. I remember seeing like one poster of Arnold in a Mr. Free suit. And I'm like, isn't that supposed to be Patrick Stewart? I'm sure we'll get into it. But I missed the hype. I came back and I heard, oh, this is awful. I've caught pieces here and there when it's played on TV. I've never forced myself to sit down and watch from beginning to end until this show. Really? This is a first for me. Really? Now, why didn't you do it? I mean, you're the Bat fan. (laughs) It's mostly because of the reputation. Just, I've heard this movie is so awful. It's so bad. It's such a stinker. And so I just never took the time. By the time I would have sat down to watch this, Nolan's film's wrong, about to come out. And so I'm like, uh, I'll go with that. And I really hated Batman Forever. I didn't want to see another film that had that aesthetic. Here, here. Well, suit us up, Uncle Arnie, and give us a plot summary. <laughs> 
Dr. Victor Freeze's love for his wife Nora was white hot, so when Nora is diagnosed with the fatal McGregor syndrome, as her disease progressed, Freeze had Nora cryogenically frozen while he used his cool intellect to find a cure. However, while attempting to heal his frigid bride, Freeze takes a fall into a vat of liquid nitrogen which mutates his body, turning his skin icy blue and making him reliant on a diamond-powered refrigerated suit to survive. I love the best refrigerators really do run on diamonds, I found. I am only going to the jewelry store for my appliances. Now as Mr. Freeze, he gives Gotham a winter of discontent that even Batman and Robin cannot thaw, stealing expensive diamonds, or ice if you will, both for profit and to power his suit. Meanwhile, in South America, Freeze's polar opposite is Pamela Isley, a nature-loving botanist whose environmental research is stymied by her boss, Dr. Jason Woodrow, who's using her venom to create a super soldier serum, sounds familiar, Mm. which will turn puny men into hulking mindless beasts. When Pamela shines light on Woodrow's research, he turns her into plant food, pushing her into a table of toxins. But rather than wither, the botanist blossoms into poison ivy, a sexy woman with blood of aloe and lips of poison. After a kiss from her two lips, Offs Woodrow, Ivy leaves South America to go to Gotham City and bury Wayne Enterprises for having once funded Woodrow's research, and she takes Bane along as her goon. As for Batman and Robin, the two Crape Crusaders are still working out their relationship with Batman not fully trusting Robin in the field, and Robin chafes under Batman's control. Plus, their loyal butler Alfred is ill. He's dying from McGregor Syndrome. (laughs) Coming from England to care for the old man is Barbara Alicia Silverstone, because I always think of her as British. Alfred's niece. But when the man sleeps at night, Barbara sneaks out, stealing some of Bruce Wayne's bikes for drag races with local neon gangs. After Ivy plants roots in Gotham, she realizes she can never blossom while the city is in the shadow of the Cape Crusader, so she uses her pheromone powder to make Robin turn a new leaf against Batman. She also teams with the Glacial Freeze, springing him from the Kula and she pulls the plug on Nora, telling Freeze it was done by Batman. Then Ivy lays a Venus flytrap for Batman and Robin, and they're entangled by Ivy's vines and about to die when they're saved by... Batgirl? As Alfred fell into a coma, he gave Barbara a CD-ROM containing all of Bruce Wayne's bat secrets. A Max Hedrum-like version of Alfred gives Barbara her own suit, and she goes to rescue the two heroes and bury Poison Ivy once and for all. But Freeze, chilled by his wife's final death, has decided to give all of Gotham an icy grave. As he freezes the city, Batman, Robin, and Batgirl in all-new, shiny, nippy silver outfits, or is that nipply, ride three different vehicles available at your local Toys R Us. And hockey rink. (laughs) And stop stock still Freeze's frosty plan. Computer genius? Batgirl thaws the city while Batman thaws Freeze's heart telling him Nora still lives, and if Freeze gives Batman the cure for stage 1 McGregor syndrome, Batman will ensure Freeze can continue his research while in prison. And with the cure, Alfred is restored, while Freeze goes to give Ivy some frostbite in Arkham Asylum, and the Bat family run off into oblivion as credits roll. (laughs) 
And that doesn't even cover half of it. But yeah, that's kind of what happens. Again, we start with the suit up and my God, what a cod piece. Oh, it's a bigger cod piece this time. This movie is just, it amps it up. We get crotches and butts and nipples. Later on, we're getting at some big old rubber titties. Schumacher knows what he's doing. You said he didn't want to do the film like this. I think he got the joke from the last one, and he's going with it this time. This is where I remember the bat nipples really coming into play, because... This is where, like, international headlines came out. People were upset. I think the last time they were subtle. But this time, people were not happy with the bat nips. Can I ask why? I mean, I don't want to split hairs. There's so much that's wrong with this movie. Why did people get hung up on nipples? I mean, is it ridiculous? Yes. It's not even on my top 50 list of things that are wrong here. Oh, come on. What? A a few years later, we get really upset about a nipple during the Super Bowl. Americans hate nipples. I don't. (laughs) I don't either. I don't know where this rage against nipples comes from. Yes, the suit-ups, I don't feel like they work in the way that they're supposed to. They're supposed to be, look at all the cool things that we have. Look at the ornamentation that you can buy. It gets us in the mood, and it also disguises the fact that we have a new Batman, and we may not notice that he's not Kilmer anymore, or if you have the memory, uh, Michael Keaton. But you're right. This movie is way more sexed up than that last version. Oh, come on. This is the new Batman 66. If the Batman Forever was trying to try to play that up more than Burton did, this one's embracing it. This is the 90s version of Batman 66. Instead of having this goofy looking Batman in a tight leotard, now the joke is, look at his big old codpiece. Look at these nipples. It's just new versions of the old jokes. Yes. And I think that that's intentional entirely. In fact, In the commentary, Schumacher says each Batman film is a Batman from a different decade. And Batman 89 was Batman's origin in the 40s. And Batman Returns was kind of 90s gritty Batman. He says Batman Forever is 50s Batman after the architecture and the strange Gotham City of that. And this is 60s Batman. And hey, I liked Batman 66, so I'm going with it at the beginning of this film. And the villain is straight up 1966. I mean, Mr. Freeze, more than any villain they've posed before, this is not a comic book character, right? This is just something that they came out with from the show, right? No, this is from the comics. He was actually originally called Mr. Zero, and when they introduced him into Batman 66, they changed his name to Mr. Freeze, and he took on that identity later on in the comics. But no, this is straight from the comics. I find this would hardly ever work if they played this serious in any medium. I mean, by announcing that your villain is Mr. Freeze, you have essentially waved the flag that you are not even going to try anymore to make a gritty action dark batman movie like we've had before i'm gonna disagree with you i have seen a couple of the batman cartoons with mr freeze and i think he could work now what i'd always heard what i was hearing the wish list of casting is that this would be played by patrick stewart because mr freeze is a tiny guy he's a bald guy who has to wear a refrigerated suit I don't know why you hire Arnold Schwarzenegger and never let him show off the famous muscles. That seems really strange. They went completely against the character from the comic with this casting choice to the film's detriment, I dare say. But if you took the character that I've seen in the cartoon, who is coldly intelligent, very dangerous, 
very lethal and very tragic, I think it could have worked. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's these tragic Shakespearean roots to the character, but we don't see that in these movies. They play him up as colorful Saturday morning cartoon villains that five-year-olds can understand. Yeah, it really does feel like a child villain. Like, they're getting into the real C-stringers, the ones that didn't even play that well on the TV show. King Tut. What's next? Egghead. I mean, these are villains that you can only roll your eyes at, or at least I can. I will say this much. Early, before anybody saw anything of this movie, a still was released of Schwarzenegger in the makeup, and I thought he looked scary. I actually thought, ooh, this could actually work. There's something about, I mean, there's something ugly and frightening about him bald in that makeup that I felt like, okay, maybe this will be a worthy Batman villain. But when you cast Arnold Schwarzenegger in a movie, first of all, he's top billed here. Over Clooney, over Batman, he is the star of this movie. That makes sense. Keep in mind, it goes back to what they did in Batman 89 with Nicholson and also Clooney's an up-and-comer at this point. It makes sense that he'd be second bill. Yes. Yeah, what was Arnold doing around this time? I remember in the 90s, he had this string of comedies. Is that what he was doing, Junior? This is the arc down. He had already peaked, arguably, with Terminator 2. He'd follow that with Last Action Hero. Everyone has a flop. No harm, no foul. True Lies was a modest hit. But then, yeah, it was a lot of kind of, what do I do now? Uh, Eraser. Jingle All the Way, Junior. (laughs) Yeah, Jingle All the Way was the one before this. And when he's co-starring with Sinbad, I think in their rule in Hollywood, never work with kids, animals, or Sinbad. It's my rule. (laughs) Not a fan of Kindergarten Cop, then? I don't know that I ever saw it. Kids and animals in that one. But no Sinbad, so it's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Sinbad, we know you listen. But yes, you're right. Arnold is not in peak shape here. You're saying, why doesn't he show his muscles? I think he was on the operating table just now. Actually, that was right around the time of this release when he had his heart surgery and he should be out there saying, I'm tough, I'm strong, look at me. He's in a refrigerator suit. Yes. He can't rely on having that physique forever. And it was at this point, presumably part of the reason why he had to have open heart surgery. Yeah, he was trying to transition into roles where he didn't have to be the guy flexing. This was, yeah, a step in trying to merge his identity as an action hero and as a comedian, but not relying solely on his physicality. So what do you do when you take away Arnold's muscles? What are you left with? An inaudible Austrian in a neon refrigerator. That ain't much here. One wonders if it hadn't been Arnold, if it couldn't have been an exponentially better movie because of it. He is the fatal bullet. I mean, there are so many things that are wrong here, but by casting him in this way, you've now sealed your fate in having to have him play it for laughs from a terrible comedian who we all sort of understand is not a good actor. Would Patrick Stewart have delivered so many ice puns? I ask you. I mean, the Iceman cometh! What's he doing making Eugene O'Neill? I mean, The Iceman Cometh is a play about drunks. This has nothing to do with anything. They're just grabbing onto anything with ice because Arnold makes bad puns his whole career. Stuart, we both lived in L.A. when this man ran for governor. We know he can't come up with his own lines, his own puns. All he did is repeat lines from other movies he did as his slogans. I mean... Someone wrote this. This was the script. I don't believe that he was like, yeah, we need more snow puns in this film, and I'll write them. I'll ad-lib them. 
You don't think that they wrote this for him? I do. I think that they said, oh, if Arnold's playing this, we've got to make it funny. I completely agree. This feels like the same kind of lines Riddler and Two-Face were spouting last time. It just feels like that's all he says this whole movie. I imagine not only if Patrick Stewart were in this role... But if this were told differently, and instead of seeing Poison Ivy's transition, if you saw this begin as a man with a dying wife and made him a tragic character, the character could work. But the way it's told here, where the movie just starts, he's already a bad guy out in Gotham, and Commissioner Gordon just goes, we have a new villain, Mr. Freeze. Go stop him, Batman and Robin. I love like this exposition, and we're not even going to try to hide it. It's like reading the back of a G.I. Joe card where it's giving all the stats on the character. It's like, there's a new villain at the museum. Your mission is to go stop him. Yeah, it sounds like a video game, which ain't a good thing in a movie. Well, this is I, the I same it. introduction that Two-Face got, though. I mean, a flashback montage showing him doing the nesty plunge into the cryogenic tank... And that's how we understand that he's Mr. Freeze. Not much better than getting the acid splashed and using paper to deflect half of your face. This film seems to have very much the same story structure as Batman Forever. We get a villain who's already created. We get a short flashback of his origin. We see the origin of another villain. Batman and Robin still don't trust each other. It seems like almost the same film, just different characters. Yes, the formula is set in stone. Amazing what a few minor differences can make in a movie, huh? For the better! I'm going to put it out there right now. <laughs> this film is working better than that last one for me. Wow, because it's being honest about being terrible? I recommended Batman 66. That is a comedy. And here is this as this oversexed superhero comedy. And it's running with it. Jacob, you say this is oversexed. I'm surprised if this is rated PG-13. This movie is so kiddified. I would like to know, other than the codpiece, where this movie is oversexed. This movie is honestly Sesame Street to me. It's Sesame Street with nipples, but Sesame Street. You could say that with Batman 66, too. Yes, and we did. We did say with Batman 66 it was for kids. There's the innuendo there. There was far more innuendo in Batman Returns and Batman Forever than is found here or Batman 66. The big difference is emphasis. Batman 66... They were all in on the joke, and they did it in a sort of deadpan delivery that lets you know they got the joke, even as the story played to kid. This movie is playing entirely to stupid children. This is nonsensical, and they're hoping that we'll all accept it because it's dumb. Like, oh, that Batman 66 was dumb. Well, this one's dumb, too. They're hoping that you make that mistake. But there's no way that these jokes are of the same caliber. There's no way that the delivery is of the same caliber as what Adam West, Burt Ward, all those people were doing back in the 60s. No, it's not of the same caliber. It's of the same spirit, and I'm willing to go with it. When George Clooney is straight up just walking around in a robe as Bruce Wayne, I'm going with that. I think that's funny. If you're going to do it light, do it right. I felt forever was too schismed, and here they have a vision, and they're going with it. And so far, I'm going along. What is their vision but chaos and noise and bad jokes? Really? That seems like what you praised forever for, was all the beautiful chaos and noise. 
You called it an audio visual pleasure. I think I might have called it a masterpiece, but <laughs> you did. But, uh, this is a first and foremost a very ugly movie. Garish color scheme. What was actually aesthetically pleasing sometimes on screen is now scene for scene a nightmare, a train wreck. We can agree that the visuals here have gone into the toilet along with everything else. I agree. You know, what I liked about the last one is, believe it or not, as loud as it was, it felt in certain ways restrained. I mean, there's a difference between a bold and stylish decoration and then just a loud and garish, trashy mess. The last one was bold and stylish. This one's garish and trashy. I like trashy. So maybe that's why I'm going for it. You know, if this is the drag queens of the Batman films, (laughs) I'm I'm there. It is in that you don't want to be caught in the car with one. (laughs) I'm not going to be ashamed and I'm going to just go for it. I'm ashamed for you if that helps. (laughs) A little bit of experimentation never hurt anyone. I think that it's easy to understand why Batman fans would be mortified. I also think it's disrespectful to what was done in the 60s to say that this competes. This is terrible. Arnold Schwarzenegger is terrible. I'm on record. I don't like him. I think that he's consistently been bad. And this is his worst performance ever. And it will continue to remain his worst performance ever. It's 50% his delivery, and it's 50% the words that were put into his mouth. But it's 100% bad. There's one good thing about Arnold in this movie, and I gotta call it out. Great makeup. He is fascinating to look at when he finally gets out of that suit. But other than that, terrible. I'm not sure that it's not a beer keg, because he actually gets more unintelligible as it goes along. He's like, I mean, by the end of it, he's barely standing. I mean, I really think that that's not a refrigerator, that's a beer keg. Can I just tell you the most uncomfortable Arnold scene, though, is the flashbacks to his wedding video? (laughs) And he's just mugging for that second unit AD. That scene is painful. Yeah, when Arnold thinks he's funny, he is really not funny. But when (laughs) Arnold is trying to sell it, it is hilarious. (laughs) That said, as bad as he is here, and he's really bad, there is something worse. Alicia? (laughs) Oh, well, (laughs) no, I'm actually going to say no. That wasn't what I was thinking. But she is, but we'll get to her. (laughs) Alicia, we're coming. Got my fork out, and so do you. (laughs) I mean, it's tough to parse out what's the worst thing, but... I actually think the very worst thing is the villain that Mr. Freeze is paired with. Well, there's two of them, really. There's Poison Ivy, and there's the scene where she comes out and goes, I am poison. And I just, I had to yell at my screen. I'm sitting alone in a room, and I go, box office poison. (laughs) (laughs) Uma Thurman has a tricky kind of beauty, doesn't she? There are times when I look at her, and I think, wow, what an exotic creature. There's no one on Earth that can pull off what she's doing. She is something to behold. And then other times I look at her and I think, drowned rat, kill it, get it off the screen. Hideous. (laughs) And this is a very unflattering. The biggest problem I have is that there's trying to sell her as this irresistible object of sex, and she is absolutely disgusting in this film. Who is attracted to Uma Thurman in this movie? I want to know. Honestly, I found her somewhat alluring in Pulp Fiction. I think Pulp Fiction's her best role to date. I think it's the only one where she's passably attractive. I don't get the physical attraction to her. To me, there's nothing to her overly angular face and her overly 
flat body that says woman and sexy to me. And she can't act. I think she'd be great if she were out there hawking some slim fast, but I don't like seeing her on screen. <laughs> so you're saying her entire work screen. You're you're writing her off for everything. You I liked her in Pulp Fiction. Tarantino okay. could direct her well in Pulp Fiction. Kill Bill? I'll give her Kill Bill. Oh, you can take Kill Bill. Uh, she ruins Kill Bill for me. <laughs> That's probably kind of a problem because she's the star yeah. of all of them. She is the movie. I, I think <laughs> that you're going to live and die by how you feel for it. I think that she's very, very tricky. She has model beauty. And, you know, that's what it is. Models don't have to be beautiful. Some of them really aren't. They just have to be striking. They have to catch your eye. And she can do that. I get that appeal. I get that supermodel quality that she has. But, yeah, as an actress, and here, the way that they're, with the leaves on her eyebrows, and uh, just, it is really an ugly, ugly vision that they have here. I could want to bang her brains out. She could be so hot. With that Mae West impersonation, though, (laughs) is that a gun in my pocket or am I just happy to see you? No, I'm here to shoot you. (laughs) I don't think these are impersonations. Impersonations give the impression that you're actually trying to pull off uh, being like someone. These are characterizations. When she does a strip tease from a pink gorilla suit, that's not <laughs> supposed to really be sexy, Arnie. That's the joke that she's stripping from a gorilla suit that's pink. Yeah, actually, that's a ripoff from a Marlena Dietrich movie. That's actually a very famous scene from a 30s romantic comedy that she did it for Cary Grant. And, you know, George Clooney always gets compared to Cary Grant. And for a while, Uma Thurman was scheduled to play Marlena Dietrich in a biopic that fortunately never happened. I I would have been there. uh, Joel Schumacher is playing window dress up like he used to do in the days when he did department store decorations. I think that he is taking... Taking the celebrity friends who consistently turn out for his productions. I really, I mean, anyone in Hollywood works with the man and all he does is dress them up and make them look ridiculous and have nothing to say or do. And I feel like he has never done anyone worse than Uma here. I mean, Uma can really stink up the room, but she's never been more fragrant than at this moment. Who's done worse? I feel like I'm about to do David Letterman at the Oscars. Uma? Arnold. Arnold Uma. I really can't decide who's worse in this. I think because I find myself laughing when Arnold speaks, Arnold wins. Every time Uma Thurman is on screen, it's literally a cringe. I literally just feel revolted. I agree with you. She's painful. Painful to me. Yes, it's unpleasant. Yes, Arnold is bad. They both stink, but I can stay in the room with Arnold and Uma makes me want to flee. Arnold has always, he's had a career, really, of being able to turn his bad skills into assets in a weird way. That We love him because he mangles the English language, because he tells a joke badly, because he can't be emotive. Because he runs California into bankruptcy. <laughs> we dominated him. <laughs> Maybe because I'm coming to this years later because I knew the reputation. This movie's not offending me. I'm going with it as, again, a, a comedy. I'm not taking these performances seriously. Uma's supposed to be this caricature of sexiness, not actually sexy. It's supposed to be bad. Not true. I think in that rubber green outfit, that's supposed to turn us on in this weird fetishy way. And you know what? Somebody else in that outfit? Maybe so. (laughs) Not her. 
Not here, not ever. What about Julia Roberts? I know that Joel Ugh. Schumacher had worked with her twice. Was really lobbying hard to get her, but she found a better... She read the script, unlike yeah. anybody else's agent? <laughs> yeah. She didn't need this at this point. She remembered Flatliners? That was yeah. a disappointment, too. Dying Young, I think that was the one you really break up with Schumacher <laughs> over. But yeah, it could have been Julia if Schumacher had had his way. I'm not sure she would have done any better, frankly. I'm not sure she would have done any worse. (laughs) But even though Ivy's bad, I think Arnold really should be pissed and his agent should be yelling. Because why would Arnold want to be the second biggest guy on screen? Bang! All right, so how worried should I be about the Nolan? (laughs) (laughs) I'll be honest. I'm really interested to see how Nolan does this character because what's in this film Stuart don't get too worried because this is not what Bane is like he is a mindless monster in this film his comic book origins he's kind of got these similarities to Batman his father was this South American revolutionary who went into hiding and to try to draw him out the government put Bane into prison and he grew up in a prison by himself and built this natural strength until he finally escaped and then he starts using this super steroid called Venom to increase his body mass but bane is so big in the comic book world because he was the first villain to really defeat batman he broke the bat he snapped batman's back and defeated him and he's very intelligent and so this mindless monster version that just grunts has nothing like Totally. There's hoses going into his head that presumably have something to do with the toxins that Uma is swilling around in beakers. I have no idea what's going on here. I know that it's all a camp lark and I'm not even supposed to care. But I want to care a little. I want to at least understand what he is and how he can be defeated. Here's the thing is, when I saw this in the movie, I'm not a Batman comic reader, never heard of Bane. And years later, people are like, and Bane was in the movie. I'm like, who? I just thought he was the goon. I didn't know he was supposed to matter. Yeah, Batman villains up to this point, there's only been two. This should only be, at most, and I question whether it should be these two, but it should (laughs) only be Mr. Freeze and Poison Ivy. You don't need to throw a third one in there in this already clustered movie. One thing I don't get with Bane is once he goes through the transformation and Ivy goes through her transformation, I don't get why they pair up. At least he's organic. Why does someone that wants to make hybrids of plants where they have characteristics of venomous snakes and have that overrun and and exterminate human beings... Why would she team up with a guy that's going to cover everything in frost and ice? You can't think of a worse team up than plants and ice trying to rule the world. Here is the big, the big script mistake of Batman and Robin. And yes, I'm going to boil it down to one. There are too many to count. But the big one is they feel that they need to follow their formula so strictly that they, instead of having these two supervillains fight, which is what they logically needed to do for the story, they did what they've always done and had them team up against Batman. This story would play so much better if one was trying to make Gotham a jungle, one was trying to make it an iceberg, and Batman was caught in the middle. Poison Ivy, her targets here, it's strange. We're told that she has these pheromones that come out of her, are they out of her body or are they out of a machine in her palms? I think that it's a dust that she carries with her. In the comics, she could actually expel this from her body. But in here, yeah, they're not real clear. 
the whole point is that she's going to use her feminine wiles, whatever it is, her natural essence, to get men to do her way. And so, yeah, Gordon, she manipulates so that she can destroy the bat signal. Why does she go after Freeze's wife? She doesn't like competition. She wants to be with Freeze. It's nonsense. She does? You missed the line, Adam and evil. Yeah, no, I didn't miss the line. I just <laughs> Did you understand it? I don't know why she wants to f*** the refrigerator. <laughs> she likes frostbite in the naughty bits? It's just a fundamental problem I'm going to have again and again. There's no way you can tell me that plants are going to cuddle up with ice. Show me a plant that wants to be doused in snow. To be fair to the movie... If I could try to do that. No. The ice only has to sit. <laughs> At least he's honest. <laughs> you know, the ice only has to be there for 11 minutes to kill people. It could then melt and become water for the plants. It's not like the world has to be permanently frozen for the Iceman to win. I don't know why it's 11 minutes. I think I would die from suffocation by being entombed in ice within, you know, four or five minutes. But 11 minutes, okay, whatever. I'm all for your Romeo and Juliet unlikely lovers, star-crossed plots, but a girl from the Amazon jungle is not going to get with a guy whose body temperature needs to stay at absolute zero. That is absolute nonsense. <laughs> so I never got that. And plus, Freeze is still thinking about his wife. He's resistant to her pheromones. He's resistant to misbehaving. Who? What, what the hell is she? <laughs> Batman 66 sex doll. I thought she was his girlfriend, and I was about to get all David Banner upset. How could you do this to your wife who you're supposedly so upset over? And then he, like, turns her down. Then why is she there? She's not really helping with your research. What research is being done? He's not holed up in a laboratory. This is an ice cream parlor. <laughs> they are living in a rundown ice cream parlor watching old stop motion Frosty the Snowman sing-alongs. And eating frozen dinners. Get it? <laughs> I don't get it. I don't get it. I had to laugh because the whole reason he's not doing research is because he's stealing to get the billions needed for his research. He's going to rob billions. The only way to do that is by opening a corporation and having an IPO. The problem with this for me is that you've rated this PG-13. If you rated this G, I would know what to expect coming in. By rating it PG-13, no, this is PG-3. <laughs> no one over the age of three allowed. Sesame Street has more nuance. But returning to Ivy, so if her affections don't work for the man that she's trying to manipulate into destroying the Earth, then at the very least, her targets, Batman and Robin, should make some sense here. They should be drawn and manipulated to her in some way. But as far as I can tell, they might get an erection, but they don't ever betray their behavior, right? I mean, she never gets them to do anything they don't want to do. They whip out the Bat card. Oh, 
Yes, and if you weren't laughing already, they put a cash register sound over it. <laughs> they, I mean, really? Again, this film sets that up, though. Within the first 15 minutes of this film, we get an action scene where Batman busts through a roof, slides down the back of a dinosaur, and then him and Robin have skates pop out of the bottom of their boots so they could play hockey with a bunch of goons, and then go up into a rocket ship and then sail down when it blows up on the doors. Yes. I know what I'm getting into, and I actually like that first 15 minutes. It, it was very cartoonish. You know what? I was with you on all of that. Strangely, I'm okay with the ice skates in the boots, everything. The thing that made it go too far is when Robin gets frozen, Batman puts him in a pool and pulls out the bat heat ray. That is like bat shark repellent at that point. He is carrying everything on that thing. I was fine with him wearing skate boots if he knew he was going, you know, to the ice rink, but... The heat ray, it became really Batman 66. I don't like Batman 66. I think we proved that in our first Batman podcast. But Artie, it, so it didn't bug you when Robin pulled out the heat ray when they're on the rocket ship to free Batman. Yes, every time I saw the heat ray. Every time I saw the heat ray, I thought it was lame. To say that this is Batman 66 is to completely insult the comic timing and the a deadpan delivery of the characters that played that. Comedy is all about how the telling. And Arnold Schwarzenegger and Uma Thurman and George Clooney and Chris O'Donnell and Alicia Silverstone don't get the joke. They don't tell the joke right. They don't get the joke right. They ruin the joke. We could argue about their comic timing. They get the joke. I mean, Clooney knew this was bad. He knew this was a joke going into it. They get the joke. They get this isn't serious. They get this isn't Burton. And let's talk about new Batman. Here's what kills me. I can dislike Schumacher for a lot of things. A lot of movies. But what I disrespect him most for is his film commentaries on these DVDs that I have to sit through as the multimedia fan. (laughs) Because the man doesn't even have the balls to stand by what he said years ago. Mr. Schumacher, I read Entertainment Weekly in 1990s every week, cover to cover. So I remember and was able to Google to find your exact quotes where you say, I'll never work with Val Kilmer again, even if it's to make the Val Kilmer story. Val is the most psychologically troubled human being I've ever worked with. (laughs) (laughs) The tools I use to work with him, tools of communication, of patience, of understanding, were the tools I use on my five-year-old godson. Wow, yeah, that fights about the Batman Forever set, and really every set with Val Kilmer on it for the rest of the 90s. He had a bad rep, no doubt about it. Island of Dr. Moreau, it had great stories coming out about him discovering rare bugs on an island and then him deciding to eat them right there rather than (laughs) preserve them and we don't actually have a species because Val Kilmer (laughs) decided to exterminate them before their eyes. Yeah, the man is bug nuts crazy. I think he hung out with Brando too much and it rubbed off. He is the portrait of an actor out of control. Even more uncaged than Cage. It gets worse though because I heard on Moreau, he was like threatening production assistants with cigarettes, threatening to make them go blind by putting them out in their eyes. Yeah. I mean... Yeah, no, he really, yes. I can imagine that there's real truth to Schumacher's description of him on the set of Batman Forever. I know that he was not communicating on the set.
that, and it didn't look like he was having fun there. I mean, Batman Forever, he was just holding it together. He was just trying to hold his nose and get through. It was very clear it wasn't working out, and I didn't think that he was a problem with Batman Forever, or at least he was not a big problem with Batman Forever, but I don't miss him here. If they want to try a new guy, that's fine. But what it does, once you're getting to this point, you're really creating the impression that the Batman franchise is about being the villain, and that Batman himself is just a schmuck in the suit. And it could be anybody. Who even cares? At this point, we'll go to some TV guy that doesn't even have a movie career yet. I mean, George Clooney, at this point, was a guy with a haircut who was on a successful TV show. This movie was not designed to launch him into a big movie career. It was, oh, well, you'll do because you'll work for the price that we're paying and put on this rubber cod piece. And I don't really think... Clooney does good here. You know, I remember back when this came out, before it came out, remember, Batman, 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 I'm watching every interview with every talk show he does, and it seems like he goes to each one and he goes, all I want is to not be remembered as, as the guy who killed the Batman franchise. <laughs> Well, you know what? This is the secret to why George Clooney is a star today. I do believe that. Is that when they were doing press for this movie and everyone has to spend all day talking to reporters from all over the world about how wonderful it was to make this production, he actually leveled with them and said, look, I'm going to tell it to you straight. This movie sucks and I suck in it. And he has never minced words about it. He has been very brutally honest about how bad he is in this movie. And he's right. This is a pitiful performance. He is no Batman. He is no Batman. I don't know that he would ever be Batman, but I have to say, at this point, he wasn't ready for what was going on around him. It was a case of too much too fast for George. He'd been, you know, bumming around, Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, Facts of Life. He suddenly became very famous with ER, and then next thing he knows, he's Batman, and I'm sure it seemed like a good move money-wise, because who knows how long your career on top will last. But, my God, in the suit, out of the suit, I stand by, so far, Keaton's the best Batman. Clooney, I love him and other stuff, but he's the worst Batman we're going to talk about. Jacob, you're saying you're enjoying this as Batman 66, but tell me, Clooney is no Adam West. No, he's not an Adam West. He's also much better than Val Kilmer. I don't know where you go saying Clooney's the worst Batman. Val Kilmer, just a wooden boar. Because wood is better than bad. I'll yeah. take bad any day. Maybe because I'm projecting what I know about Clooney now, because I didn't see this at the time. I, I didn't know what his star power, lack of star power was then. But I like him as Bruce Wayne in this. As Batman, I don't feel anyone's played a good Batman in any of these films. I like that they've figured out the suit better, so they at least the stuntmen can move around better in the suits now, and they can be more active than those earlier Burton films. But as Bruce Wayne, no, he's not Michael Keaton, but he's a way, way better than Val Kilmer. It's George Clooney. Does he ever play anyone but himself? That kind of comes off as Bruce Wayne to me, the way George Clooney is. In theory, this should work because, yes, George Clooney, the movie star, is Bruce Wayne, the fictional billionaire. They seem to go hand in hand nowadays. It's not a far stretch. But keep in mind, they've solved all the psychological angst 
of Bruce Wayne at this point. We're coming into this movie, and Bruce Wayne has nothing to be tortured about. He has nothing to brood about. There's nothing necessarily to bother him. What are his problems at this point? Robin is a little over-eager, and his girlfriend wants to get married, and his butler is dying. And he greets each bit of news that I've just explained with a smirk on his face and a look of desperation in his eyes like... (laughs) What the hell do you want me to do? I mean, I really feel like he smirks his way through this entire movie because he has no idea how to play this character. He doesn't play it for Adam West Camp. He does not go for the Keaton Kilmer brood. Is there anything more uncomfortable than his scene with Alfred where he says, I love you, old man? Can you think (laughs) of a scene that... in? I mean, really, you know, this Alfred dying subplot, I mean, this really is it. And if they solved the Burtonism the last time, well, here's one of the last remaining bits. Him and Gordon are the last two standing at this point. The only two people that have been involved since Batman 89 that are still here. And yeah, Alfred is dying. And he, I don't know what McGregor syndrome is, but it seems to have the same symptoms as watching this movie. You pucker <laughs> up, you feel nauseous, and you just want to keep curl up and die. <laughs> this should be very touching that he's losing Alfred. They don't need to do these cheesy flashbacks to it. We've had four movies in which we understand how integral Alfred is to Bruce's life. We get it. Make these dramatic scenes work. And instead, Clooney is literally smiling as he's telling him, you're going to die. All right. Let me side with Jacob just a little bit. Because I remember seeing this in theaters. And again, Batman! I was so gung-ho that there were things here, concepts, poorly executed. And I'm realizing it then. You could hear heart breaking in the theater if you'd gone with me. But... There were things I was trying to grasp onto. One of those things was the death of Alfred. First of all, I thought they'd really kill him. I thought that it was, yes. I really thought that when credits rolled, he was dead as disco. And I took that as a big step. You know, since this is a movie, it's going to hit you over the head that it's about family. It's not at all a subtle theme. If it's about family, it should also be about maturation and the passing of the torch and the death of the father as an adult. So I was really into this plot, and I saw ways that this could make me really in in tune. But with the performances given, the script written, and the cheesy, oh, everybody's okay when the credits roll, I was really, really feeling ripped off. I'm having a hard time understand how you just watched Batman Forever, and you're expecting all that. That set the expectations for this film. It was showing this is the direction we are taking Batman. You do not have to take this as a serious, gritty, realistic character anymore. In the last movie, they killed Dick's parents, okay? They had Dick dealing with the death of his parents and dealing with a homicidal rage. I saw that the last one was a step in a direction, but this does not expect for the next step to be this. If one day I come home and my wife has a joke for me and I laugh, I don't expect the next day I come home to find her with a rubber chicken hitting me in the face with a frying pan all Groucho Marx. (laughs) If she ever does do that, promise me you'll put it on YouTube. (laughs) 
Here's the thing. If you are going in this direction full out, then have Alfred get hooked up with a couple of flight attendants from Brazil and he's off to, you know, go bang them. Camp it up then. Don't introduce the idea that this is the death of Alfred and then not follow through with this. Don't have these maudlin flashbacks to little Bruce thinking of him as a father and the payout being that he's going to take two fluorescent tubes and call Arnold in the morning and that everything is going to be okay. It is a mortal sin that they make Alfred's near death such a non-event. It's an infuriating decision here. Remember, this is a commercial for kids to buy the toys. Most of this movie is, but by playing into a severe, dramatic, life-or-death stakes issue, they were asking for us to feel something different here. And this is an Alfred that we have had from the beginning. He goes beyond Batman Forever. He has been forever. He has been in Batman and Batman Returns. Losing him is the last tether to the movies that presumably we've had some affection for. Otherwise, why are we still here? And I don't know why they don't kill him, and I don't know why they don't try to make that mean more. It's infuriating. There's also a scene where you think they're going to kill Commissioner Gordon, too. Poison Ivy is all ready to kiss him, and then she just decides he's too nasty to kill. (laughs) Yeah. Chris O'Donnell, I want to give some props to him. He's the only one from this cast who came back in 2004 for the 2005 DVD release, it actually was like, you know, this didn't quite work out. <laughs> he is a wise enough man now to know that this was going wrong. And at the time, he was still new enough. I don't think he could quite handle it. But he did say that there were times where like, he'd look at the script and try to say, as an actor trying to connect with my character... Why is this happening? And the answer was, because we need a toy of it. The one thing that I think that Chris O'Donnell have that's fortunate is he has a tie back to the Batman series. I remember there was an episode where they kind of dealt with Robin's puberty. He got scratched by Catwoman and one of her henchwomen, and he actually ends up betraying Batman because he's horny. And if he has a character arc here at all, it's that he is supposed to be fighting Bruce and being a mature superhero because he's got the hot poison ivy that fails for lots of different reasons he doesn't have someone that's understandably attractive luring him in and he doesn't have a girlfriend that he's got to be torn from but i think that that's what they're going for with robin this time is that he has an obvious connect to batman 66 and it's easier to play him than it would be for Clooney or really anyone else i got a question was robin supposed to be into barbara oh yeah i Totally got. He had the hots for Batgirl, and those two in future sequels would have a romance. Sometimes they felt that way, and then they used words like family and partners, and I felt like this was supposed to be more like brother and sister. No. Kissing cousins at best. This is the same actress that was in Clueless, which was all about hooking up with her stepbrother. Never saw it, believe it or not. I don't know Alicia Silverstone from anything other than her Aerosmith videos and some recent very upsetting videos of her (laughs) chewing pre-digested food and then spitting it into her child's mouth. I don't even want to talk about that. Yeah, yeah, look it up. No, I don't want to. (laughs) I would have said a few weeks ago that Batman and Robin was Alicia Silverstone's most disturbing on-screen performance. (laughs) It's now number two. 
<laughs> really, yeah. I mean, if you're curious, it's out there. I don't know why she did it. I don't know what's going on there. But that's all that I know her from. So I know that she was the hot thing that they booked. And I don't think that there was anybody else in line for the role. They wanted Alicia or nobody, you know. For a British girl. Yeah, British superhero. Was she supposed to be British, though? They said she came from England where she was in Oxford. Where she started going to school five years ago after her parents died. Yes. Her parents, who were related to Alfred, Uncle Alfred. They could have immigrated to America. We have lots of British descendants here. I know that she spent some time in a SoCal mall. That's all I can tell you. (laughs) Whatever she did for the last five years in England didn't stick and prove to be nearly as formative as her time in Burbank. Because this (laughs) is an L.A. girl through and through. Now, when this movie came out... I was very hot for Alicia. Those who listen to the bloopers of Incredible Hulk know how I felt about those Aerosmith videos. And Alicia was a big part of that. The crush. I love you and you love me. I, <laughs> I just love her in that. And Clueless, I liked her in. I had a thing for Alicia Silverstone during this period. She won an award, you know, MTV's Most Desirable Female. And I couldn't disagree. But, ooh, this movie took it all away in one fell swoop. You know, Alicia, I, let's cover one thing right off the bat. The knock that she got when she came out of this movie was that she was not fit enough for the part. That she was, and I'll go ahead and say it, fat. That was it. What? Fat girl. Fat girl was the label when they wanted to deride her performance in this movie. I got a lot of problems with Alicia in this movie, but fat ain't one. She's not fat, okay? She is she, not fat. She is not fat. But I did put in my notes... She's a little thick. Yeah, what? I I did some research after this. Truth be told, there were days that she didn't fit in the bad girl outfit. I'm sorry, it's tight rubber. I don't think most people would fit in that. No, you wouldn't. Most people wouldn't. Which is why most people aren't Batman, Robin, and Batgirl. (laughs) (laughs) You realize these are fictional people that they had to make suits to meet these fictional physiques. I mean, come on. Oh, actors and actresses aren't real people. They're ideals. I'm right there with you, Arnie. I agree. She is not fat, and I hate the fact that she's fat, but she does not have the kind of body you want to pour into liquid rubber. I mean, she does not have that curvaceous ideal physique, and that's what they're selling. What Batgirl is supposed to be when she drops through the ceiling light at the Turkish bath. We aren't supposed to be aghast at... How awful that moment is. We're supposed to be thinking, rah, rah, roo. You know, there's two hotties for the price of one. There's so much wrong with this. But first of all, I think poor Alicia, I mean, it's got to be hard. According to what I heard on the commentaries, if you gained an ounce of weight, then the suit suddenly didn't fit anymore. It's not like your jeans that'll loosen up the more you wear them when you're dealing with a 50-pound rubber suit. And she had a slimmer body in Clueless and in The Crush. And the fact is, she's still pubescent. She's still going through changes. And Sure, she had the freshman 15. Exactly. You you go away to college and you gain 15 pounds and you don't look and feel the same way. But she is not overweight. She is not out of shape. It is the idea that they are trying to sell her as this, yes, ideal physical being. I mean, clueless, nothing about that says to me that she's ready to kick ass. That's the real disconnect that I have, is that you'd want someone that has heft and presence and 
fighting skills. <laughs> well, we just said she has heft. <laughs> I know. It doesn't help that her next movie was excess baggage either. <laughs> Stuart, you're, you're right. The, that's the problem with Alicia Silverstone as Batgirl. The weight thing, I can't stand Hollywood standards for right, beauty. Right. The problem is she's supposed to be this kick-ass biker. Like, yes. they set her up that she's sneaking off to do these bike races to earn money to buy Alfred out of indentured servitude. Yeah. And- All of yes. a sudden, Alfred is a victim? He's a slave? The man is property? And here's the thing. I love the bike scenes. You talk about the warriors all the time and how you're able to go with the black light gang. Well, here it's amped up. We got the Droogs from Clockwork Orange as a biker gang. I couldn't believe the Droogs were there. We got a Kiss gang. We got the Punkers. We got like these Mozart classical people as a gang. The Mozart gang, I know. There is a part of me that wanted to see them fight Batman. (laughs) (laughs) So like, I'm going with this scene, but then it's ruined because I'm supposed to believe Alicia is able to take them on in dirt bike racing. Here's the fun thing, though. Again, I couldn't get past it, and this is, again, why I feel bad for Alicia, is she has to know the costume designers are pissed that she's not fitting in her outfit, and they're not doing her any favors, because when she goes for this motorbike ride, she's wearing the baggiest denim jacket to hide her. It's almost part cape already. (laughs) I feel bad for her, because this is what's going on around her, and she seems, honestly, having seen her performances up to this point, she seems so uncomfortable and so out of her element and so miscast. That is absolutely correct. Here's the thing. She didn't need to be in shape to convince me that she was in shape and could kick ass. A a famous acting story is that in American Beauty, Kevin Spacey played the fat version of himself and the buffed up version of himself in the same day. And all it was is about how you carry yourself. If she believed that she was Batgirl... She could sell us that she was Batgirl. You could see it in her eyes. She's depressed. She doesn't want to be here. And she knows that when she drops down through that ceiling light, that she is not Batgirl. In her mind, she is Fat Girl because that is what the costume people have told her. So the problem isn't that she looks like Fat Girl to me. The fact is that she's selling me that she's Fat Girl. Exactly. Anytime she's in that rubber outfit, every line she says is said like an eight-year-old with stage fright at the school play. I'm going to turn you into mulch. I mean, yeah, I mean, come on. This ain't the run-through, lady. This ain't a cold reading. (laughs) You need to do it, for real. This is it. The lights, the camera, we're here. Give it. Sell it. I mean, hell, I could play this part better than her. Give me some fire. Where's the chutzpah? I mean, come on, lady. Yeah, no kidding, and that's exactly where I'm at, too, is I would forgive her for so much, and I know that she could act in a couple different ways. But I think this was a case of Schumacher saying, I want him and I want her and I want her, and we're not going to ask them to do any readings because I want them. And once you got there, here's what you got. And we've talked about so many movies where a couple weeks into filming, things aren't working out, and so you replace them. We talked about this with Back to the Future and Eric Stoltz. This should have been another one of those long traditions of, Oops, it's not working out, Alicia. Yeah, I definitely feel like they could have parted ways. No harm, no foul. But she was their only choice. She was 
generation, whatever. Claire Danes could have been better. Seriously. Ooh, well, Claire Danes is a very good actress, but I, you know. Terminator, Terminator 3. 3. I didn't exactly buy it either, but. Here's the problem. What purpose does Batgirl play in this film? I don't even know why we're debating <laughs> who should play her because she shouldn't be in this movie. This is the biggest problem with this film is Batgirl. You make a good point. You do. You do. Problematic. I mean, it would be hard for me to say that this is working or a good idea. There are already encumbered by Batman having a partner. I feel like they did a very deft job of selling us on that. I'm okay with it. I don't think it totally paid out at the end with the fight in Two-Face. But you know what? I buy it. I'm not going to make gay jokes and think that this is all just some winky homosexual fantasy or whatever. They've sold me that that's a partnership. I don't believe that Batgirl fits into this Bat family. It's not even a Bat family. It's aggravating. She doesn't even choose Batgirl as her own identity. This is all the fantasies of her dying uncle. I can only imagine what McGregor syndrome does it just make you a lech? I mean, I'm dying. I'm slipping away. So let me think about what you'd look like in thigh-high boots and with a mask. You know, I'm going to hide it away. It's like password protected on a computer. Whoa, 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 whoa. Password protected? There's a password. I don't know how protected it was. Three letters does not make a password. I would have gotten it faster with an algorithm that started A, B, C, than she did by trying to go through his memoirs. Can someone explain to me how she cracks the code? All right. Yes, I can. Because it's the one deleted scene that's on the DVD (laughs) is an extended scene of her arrival at Wayne Manor, where it's explained that Alfred had a romance with a young woman named Peg. Margaret is her real name. Alfred left Peg because he realized he was far too old for her or any woman who would give birth to a woman of Alicia's age. And so Peg went off and married somebody else. And so Peg was always the love of his life, but she married another, had children, and hence he was the foster uncle Alfred. So he was being a lech. This is the fantasy that he was having about Peg that he is foisted upon his niece. Yeah. Wow. Okay, well, that's kind of a hot button. (laughs) But you know what? For most of this movie, he's not even asking her to do that. There's all this nonsense about his brother in India that she's supposed to be researching. Does that ever make any sense? Does she ever figure anything out like he's never found there's no trace between what him and the mcgregor i keep thinking well maybe if they can find him they can get a blood transfusion so he can defeat the disease or no nothing there's a brother in india that is just filling up time until she can crack the bat girl code the thing with the brother in india is that the way i've always taken it alfred thinks someone has to look after bruce and the only people who could be trusted with the batman secret our family. His brother is the only one in the world who could take over as caretaker for Bruce and caretaker for Batman. <laughs> wait, wait just like Bruce was going to adopt a 25-year-old, <laughs> he still yeah. needs a butler to take care of him? Yeah, the man's pushing, what, 45 at this point? <laughs> Have you seen that house? How is he going to clean up the streets and clean up the bathroom? The Hire a Minute Maid or, or whatever they're called to Get come a over. Roomba. I mean, come on. Who's going to clean up the guano in the cave? <laughs> you can't just let Minute Maid in the cave. Why? They've let every other woman in every other film in there. <laughs> 
If they were going to have it transpire that he is looking for someone to take care of Bruce, the only way that I can accept Batgirl into this relationship is if he dies to allow her to fill that role that he had. But who wants to see, you know, Alicia Silverstone become the new maid? Aunt Harriet. (laughs) The other thing is, when she finally gets the rubber and Max Headroom Alfred, oh my god. I just love that every bat secret is kept on a 700 megabyte CD. Hey, that might have been a 4.2 gigabyte DVD. This was 97. I had a DVD player. Well, Batman did have a CD burner before us all. And it could scratch. (laughs) Let it go. (laughs) Chill. But she finds out the secrets and... She doesn't even know Batman and Robin are in trouble. She doesn't even know where they are. Does she even know who Batman and Robin are? She's lived in London. I mean, like, there's been no exchange where she's even seen them. Oh, they have to be celebrities. They're hosting charity events with diamonds. They are totally Batman 66. They're just standing around as celebs. So she knows who Batman and Robin are. But if I found out some friends of mine were superheroes... I don't think my first thing would be, suit me up! (laughs) And my second thing certainly wouldn't be untrained, despite how good I am on a bike, untrained, going through a ceiling and starting to (laughs) kick ass against a plant woman? (laughs) You know, it's a hallmark. They've done it in most movies. Batman does drop down through the ceiling, so I guess they feel like gender politics. Hey, she broke the glass ceiling! Yes, exactly, she breaks the glass (laughs) ceiling. (laughs) for Batwomen. She did what Catwoman was trying so hard to do. Which is funny because when she reveals her name, they call her out as not being PC. They say, why aren't you Batperson or Batwoman? Or, I have a question. Why isn't she Miss Robin or Robin Girl? Because what in that outfit is (laughs) Bat-like? It's black and has bat-shaped cape. They just didn't want to f*** with the hair, right? That's the thing. They didn't want to hide the hair. Here's the thing. In the comics, they put a wig on. To hide the actual color of the hair. They did it in Batman 66, too. I'm killing myself for the scene where she goes, Bruce, it's me, Barbara. No (laughs) shit! That is my favorite line in the entire movie. I gotta say, the biggest howler is after that she is vanquished Poison Ivy, which I'm not exactly sure how she did that. She kicks the air. Ivy falls back into the plant in which she came into the room in. And the plant eats her. Why? She doesn't, because she's later in the Arkham Asylum, and she was actually in that plant at the start of the scene. But whatever. Audrey, too, couldn't digest this. She turns to the mystified slash horrified Batman and Robin and goes, Bruce, it's me. It's Barbara. (laughs) I mean, tears, tears. I love that moment. It's really great. Seriously, I've these days with the new 52 of DC come to really like the Batwoman comic. And this is... A far cry. They actually made the toys because the more toyetic version of her had a cowl. But at the last minute, Joel, I like my window dressing, Schumacher decided she must have the long flowing hair that completely reveals who it is. And I'm just like, as if. (laughs) Well, well played. Yeah, you know, again, Schumacher is dressing up mannequins here. He likes the way that they look, they amuse him, they remind him of the Batman that he knows, which is obviously 60s Batman. He's not here to put forth 
a new progressive vision for these very farcical characters. I think <laughs> that sucks for Batman fans. I think that sucks for anyone that thought that he might retain some of the action that was going on in the last movie. Now, if it's going to work for you at all, it's because it's a bad joke. And you're right. He likes how mannequins look, and apparently he likes how mannequins act. <laughs> yeah. I don't think anyone comes away giving a good performance here at all. The best performances are the ones where we don't notice who you are. Elle McPherson, where are you? Where'd she go? She has two scenes. Yeah, there was actually in the script, Poison Ivy killed her. Oh, see, I think that would help, because I do feel like Poison Ivy needed to get in the way that, yes... If she's going to kill Freeze's wife or try to kill Batgirl to get Robin's attention or kill Bruce Wayne's girlfriend to get his attention. Makes perfect sense, but Joel Schumacher decided nobody could die in this movie because it's not toyetic. Because it's only PG-13. How is it PG-13? Name one thing in it that makes it the 13. (laughs) Maybe you have to be old enough just to survive you know your immune system has to be of a certain level to survive these puns <laughs> the toxins yeah i don't know the only person that dies in the end the only girlfriend that dies is the wife and even that's kind of left in the mystery we need for freeze to believe that the wife is dead because that's what gets the final plot into gear here as the movie grinds down to its guttural end he's going to take the telescope that bruce is dedicating for gotham and turn it into a freeze ray in which he will achieve an entire world covered in ice, maybe some plants, who knows. I always hate it when telescopes go in freeze cities. (laughs) Here's what I love about this scene most. They beat Poison Ivy. Mr. Freeze is about to freeze all of Gotham and then the world! And so Batman, Robin, and the newly christened Batgirl all go home to change clothes. And get new separate vehicles. You know, Poison Ivy had a right to be pissed. They weren't carpooling, goddammit. <laughs> uh, why? <laughs> Good point. Oh. And interesting enough, Robin, who spent all of what, like five minutes in his red and green outfit, is his, the typical Robin outfit, now has a black and silver outfit, much more like his Nightwing costume. In the 70s, Robin goes off to college and he becomes his own solo hero named... Nightwing. Mm. Why aren't they frozen? The Bat family is just like everyone else in Gotham. They're hit by this telescope freeze ray thing. So why are they coming in with the ice rink cleaner and the (laughs) snowmobile? (laughs) I had to look up the names. There's like a Bat Pod and a Bat Hammer, the Bat Skiff, and the Bat Cycle versus the Red Bird that we saw earlier. No child wants those toys. None of them. No. I kind of want the Bat Hammer to smash my face in after seeing the Bat movie. But I got the impression the city was still being frozen. I mean, that laser kept going and going and going. It just hadn't gotten to Wayne Manor yet or wherever Poison Ivy was. Yeah, it looked like they had to freeze everything individually, including a dog pissing on a fire hydrant. I feel bad for that dog. Did you guys notice? First of all, in Batman Forever, there's a scene when they're showing all the people on the box in the news, and there's a bulldog watching the box. And now there's a bulldog frozen. I don't know if this is Schumacher's dog or what, but I feel bad the box-watching dog is frozen while taking a pee. 
I didn't notice that, but he has about as much screen time as uh, Gossip Gertie this time. <laughs> Gossip Gertie. They brought back Gossip Gertie. How could you have a movie without Gossip Gertie? <laughs> Batman Begins better explore the journalistic roots of Gossip Gertie. One could only imagine what Alfred would dress her up in. <laughs> <laughs> Brucey. <laughs> so then we get action and more people fall i'm so sick of them falling all this movie people fall and they often fall into tubes it's like joel schumacher's biggest fear is a water slide again though this is just carrying on from that movie you liked batman forever i know you didn't like all the falling but it's just a carryover from that i mean he's got so many wonderful toys but they're all grappling hooks And we know how it's all going to end. I do like it when they fool me. Robin uses the grappling hook, but the stalactite falls. Now I got you. <laughs> that's how it's delivered. You like this movie, and that's how it's delivered. I how agree. Could you not laugh at that. I was cracking <laughs> up. Yeah, your impersonation was dead on. It really. The key word dead. being dead. <laughs> Yes, it really was. I want to just say, and you you brought this up earlier, Arnold is an action star. He is known primarily, you know, how much longer he's in movies. He is a guy that you think of as physical, gets into altercations, fights, is a force, is a mass. However, every time Arnold is in one of these fight sequences, I feel like all he does is lay down on the floor and stare out with little puppy dog eyes. There's like a scene in the middle of the movie when he's caught and he just goes, oh, and Batman breaks his windshield and he just lies there while Batman throws a cape over him. This time, I don't even know how he ends up on the floor, but he's like handing out the cure. Like Batman asked him nice. Hey, would you please like give me the cure that you've apparently been working on when you weren't singing at the ice cream shop? He's like, take two, call me in the morning. He doesn't do anything. I was really disappointed in him this whole movie because the other thing he does is bark orders. Kill the heroes! And then he runs away. This is not a good image for Arnold. I just had heart surgery, but I'm still tough. Kill the heroes while I run away. Yeah, I agree. The only person that he ends up threatening is Uma Thurman in the final thing. He's given back into the cell. They let him in with the suit. Presumably, like, is that a crowd cheering moment? I know that after he became a star, they never wanted to cast Arnold as a bad guy again and that even in Terminator, they found a way of making him the good Terminator so I feel like even though he's the villain, they know that the audience is supposed to be rooting for him and they want to give him someone to conquer and defeat, so we're supposed to be happy to see him beat up this thin frail, (laughs) wilted flower of a woman, this is something to rouse us to victory, yeah, you curt that bitch, she looks like a stalk anyway, it works for the citizens of California who voted for him, <laughs> despite all the anti-women quotes and actions and lawsuits brought against him. I mean, this is what he's known for. At this point, even in theaters, I'm like, I just don't care anymore. I realized about midway through the movie, McGregor Syndrome, McGregor Syndrome. He cured someone in stage one McGregor Syndrome. You're talking so much. I can see where this is going. A five-year-old is like, Uncle Alfred's gonna be okay. And of course he is. And now they're... I'm glad that they end with partners, partners, partners. Not partners, partners, family. That would have just been too much. In a movie that's shown such restraint thus far. 
You don't think it ends on that note? I definitely feel like it is a family moment. They're going to need a bigger cave, and they're all running against the spotlight. Now, Robin got his own symbol this time. What do you think Batgirl's symbol is going to look like? You ever see Madonna's cone-shaped bra? (laughs) I just imagine it like the bat, like, sitting in a corner with its wings folded, like, (laughs) pursing its lips. (laughs) You know? Oh, yeah. Call her out when you need somebody to, like, I don't know. What what, what can she do? I don't know. Raise self-esteem of school children. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. This was a shocker, I gotta say. I knew it would be bad. I had been hoping it would be bad. But when I first saw it, I was stunned. And all these years later, I am still stunned. Wow. And then they put put a capper on it. We don't even get a good U2 song or a a Seal song. Hold on, hold on, hold on. We get a great Smashing Pumpkins song here. Terrible! I love the beginning as the end is the beginning. It's a bad mix of it here. This is the same song that would be used in the Watchmen trailers years, years later. And I went looking it up. I'm like, ooh, what is this song? I love this song. Oh, I own it on the Batman Robin soundtrack. (laughs) I think this song is pretty crummy. And the R. Kelly song is not much better. Well, they both beat the hell out of Jules' song on it. So it's okay. Yes, I had to watch that video as part of the special features. Jewel R. Kelly smashing pumpkins. They couldn't even get the pop songs right this time. I mean, they failed on every level. Did Batman stop R. Kelly from peeing on teenage girls in the video? (laughs) Is that why Alicia has that frown? (laughs) So, Jacob Stewart, do you recommend Batman and Robin? And Jacob, I really want to hear what you have to say. I'm not ashamed to say that I enjoyed this film. It's stupid. It's childish. It's a sugar rush. I admit that. But you know what? I like cartoons sometimes. And this one actually had some decent action. I talked about that first action scene. Yeah, when they're floating down from space, riding (laughs) bits of the rocket, surfing down in the sky and surfing down the backs of dinosaurs. It's silly. But I'm going with it. This is a much more active Batman than we've seen in the previous films. We've talked about how he's been so stiff and can barely move. This is a Batman that could play hockey and surf. And yeah, (laughs) he still spends a lot of time shooting grappling hooks and falling down great depths of the skyscrapers in Gotham City. I'm going to say the only real fault with this movie is Batgirl. She shouldn't have been in here. All the other characters, I think they know what kind of movie they're in. And they're playing it up for that style of movie. Is this Batman 66 level of camp and humor? No, but I really think this is an homage to that style. I'm not so ingrained that Batman has to be all Frank Miller and dark and violent and brooding. I could go with this lighter version. And I think Schumacher, he's not going half and half. He's not going two-face anymore. He's flipped the coin. He's gone with the garishly neon side of it. And he runs with it. If you know what you're getting into... far, far away. (laughs) If you know what you're getting into with this film, I, I think it's a good laugh it's enjoyable and so yeah i'm gonna recommend batman and robin wow arnold's not the only one that needs heart surgery after this (laughs) this is why superman podcasts alone (laughs) Stuart, help me out here give me faith in humanity (laughs) 
Well, you know, I can't help getting thinking of the larger portrait. When you think about all the resources that were pooled, all the money that was spent to create this, they could have probably solved global warming <laughs> for the price tag that they made to create this toxic waste. This movie is soup to nuts, everything about it, not just bad, the worst, the pits. I mean, it's a rare treat, I suppose, in some ways, a curiosity to see every decision be the absolute wrong decision and everyone to be to blame. I mean, I really feel like no one gets out of this unscathed. Like I said, some do better than others. I think Robin and Elle McPherson do well just by sinking into the background, but there is no escape for anyone. The only compliment I can pay this movie is we needed a movie this bad in order to get the Nolan version. If they had made a movie that was just terrible, like Batman Forever, then they would have kept going, and they would have kept making these, and they would have had who knows who else popping in the suit, but it would have just been more of this mediocre to terrible Batman sludge. And instead, they finally rolled the dice and allowed a true artist to give a stark gritty, truly dark take on the character. I am looking very forward, more than ever, after Batman and Robin for those movies. But this is the strongest of not recommends. I think this might be the worst movie we've covered since Howard the Duck. It's worse than Howard the Duck. Oh, come on. This is infinitely more watchable than Man-Thing. It's more watchable than Man-Thing, but it's worse than Howard the Duck. You know, Jacob... There are people out there who believe the Earth is flat still. (laughs) And there are people out there who believe the sun revolves around the Earth. Mm -hmm. There are people who believe if you take their picture, it steals their soul. You know, there's people who believe a lot of things that science has proven untrue. Because I can say, in this universe, there's only one absolute. (laughs) This movie sucks. Yes, it does. Hi. <laughs> yeah, you are like some black hole, Jacob. Your existence <laughs> and your review is like defying all the laws of nature. That we I'm know. sorry. I already recommended Batman Forever, and that's abysmal. This it is. is and yet it's more, more understandable. And yet the, forever. No, the seafloor opened up and they kept falling. And oh, there was no, no. Bat- grappling hook to pull them up from the depths they hit here. I agree. I thought that they couldn't be worse than last time. And, and they how wrong get- I was. No, no. It didn't get worse. I just feel like they went so wrong that it flipped on the other side and you felt like that extreme bad is somehow an asset. But I, we're saying the same thing here. This is wretched. You just, in this case, like wretched. <laughs> This is enjoyable, Wretched. Yes, this is that drag queen that I don't mind watching. Uh, You know, it's garish and ugly, but I'm going with it. Listen, uh, this movie is abysmal and just so full of wrong choices. I can't explain the disappointment I felt. It, It was right there with Batman Returns when I'm in the theater, and it's like... Tear froze on my own cheek in the over air conditioned movie theater as I realized how much I wanted this movie to be good and how much it wasn't. But you know what? I'm, I can say I saw glimmers. Really? You know, in the dirt, there were just some glimmers of things that I thought could have been good. And this was one of the first times, again, I always talk about how I have these realizations and I remember the first time I realized something about a movie. This was the first time I walked out of a movie and I went, That was too many characters to service in a two-hour film. You couldn't possibly. You had 
so much going on with Poison Ivy's origin, Bane's creation, Arnold's plot to save his wife, when it really makes you realize this movie is boring and going off the rails, Barbara's nighttime drag racing, and I walked out of there and I, I honestly, I realized this movie was bad, but I desperately hoped they'd start a book series. (laughs) Because I wanted them... (laughs) Oh, that is so priceless, really. I didn't want to go to the comic book continuity. I didn't want them interacting with other superheroes. I just wanted them to have the space to explore Robin and Batgirl's relationship the way it deserved. (laughs) Oh, my God. There is some kind of crazy nihilistic optimism that you have in which you cannot, you know, abandon this franchise. It's it's amazing. It's amazing. In its darkest night, I'm blind as a bat dark, you are still going to see somehow a glimmer. There is no glimmer in this movie. None. Zero. That's what I don't get. I'm getting crap for recommending it, but Artie's pulling through. He wants this into a long-term franchise. How is recommending it worse than that? He wants the romantic comedy. What's Batgirl and Robin doing together? Dear God. I don't feel bad for recommending this at all now that you've said that, Arnie. (laughs) Well, I will see only this much, Jacob. I did laugh, and quite a lot. But even as a wretched turkey of a movie, I feel like its toxicity level is too high to even enjoy for very long. This is probably best enjoyed in bits. Scenes, YouTube clips, there is some hilarious stuff, but it's only... Five minutes in a two-hour movie. Most of this is just garish and and nightmarish. And we're not alone in thinking of this, Stuart. Lest any of our listeners believe 33% of the world likes this movie, this film sent comic book movies back to the Ice Age. (laughs) Comic book movies were on ice for years. (laughs) It really was Blade and the very modest understated, not toyetic at all X-Men that were able to bring comic movies back. This really had buried them. This was comic toxin. Mm-hmm. It buried them for, what, two years? Its ripples could be felt for five. It was more luck than anything that X-Men hit. We'll judge it by Batman. It took Batman eight years to get back on the big screen. And that wasn't the plan. I'm sure they wanted to roll out on a new adventure with the Bat family right away. Why, why wait two years to make a new one? Let's do it in six months. Schumacher was ready, too. He had a plot. He had a plan. It was going to be the Bat family that I wanted in a different movie. <laughs> what were they going to do? Batman triumphant. Really? With the return (laughs) of the Joker. Huh. They were going to introduce the Scarecrow, who we'll talk about when we get to the Nolan films, and his fear gas was going to create hallucinations of the Joker. So I don't know if they were going to get Nicholson back, but they were going to have some kind of version of the Joker and his daughter, at least in the movie universe, his daughter, Harley Quinn. That I did know. I knew that there was going to be Harley Quinn. I had read it was going to be Harley Quinn with Man Bat. 
technology was not ready for man bat at that point. It could have been a guy in an outfit or some really good makeup. It would have been a guy in an outfit and some makeup. This script is completely written somewhere. And yes, it's Scarecrow, Man Bat, Harley Quinn. Nicholson was approached to reprise his role of Joker, which apparently Nicholson had wanted to do, maybe because he wasn't getting residuals any or off the new films. Yeah, Arnold took all the money this time around. I think he cleared well over $25 million for this. And yes, Nicholson didn't get a dime out of Batman and Robin, the first Batman movie he wasn't paid. So he actually was up for reprising. And it was supposed to be much darker, and I would have probably been sad, but Batgirl was murdered by Man Bat in the first 15 pages. (laughs) Wow. Getting the Jar Jar treatment. (laughs) So, yeah, there's a script out there for Batman Triumphant. I don't think Batman would have been triumphant in that version. In fact, I don't think that under Schumacher, Batman would ever be triumphant. This thing needed to die. It needed to die in this horrible way. I think even Poison Ivy had that line, try not to make a mess while you die. Well, they did. (laughs) They made a big old mess, and it had to be big to risk doing something that was worthwhile. They would have made mediocre, formulaic, campy, over-the-hill gas bags doing villains with Batman cameoing in a rubber sex suit until the end of time. But instead... It was stop cold with this, and I am so glad. Well, we will be getting to those Nolan films in a few weeks. We have such a packed schedule this summer. We're going to take a bat break and go spin webs with Spider-Man for a few weeks, doing two shows a week for free for everybody. Even though, if you want our Alien and Spielberg donation podcast for a donation of $10 or more you get all five Alien Prometheus podcasts and for a donation of 25 or more also the Spielberg podcast so you can donate still now at nowplayingpodcast.com then we start up next time with Spider-Man, the TV movie from the 70s. (laughs) Back to the TV. We all know how well that went before. The only way those TV movies are going to be looking good is right after Batman and Robin. I love them already, and that's only because (laughs) we'd hit the bottom. But God bless it. I can't believe two more TV movies. Not one, two. (laughs) You're lucky it's not three. Because somewhere they played a two-part episode named Chinese Web. We're doing that and the pilot next week for the Amazing Spider-Man TV show. And then the three real movies plus the reboot. Very much looking forward to that. And then we'll return to the Batcave for the Christopher Nolan films. Leading up to Batman Rises, and I really can't wait. So, Stuart, Jacob, thank you for joining me. But will Spider-Man ensnare Stuart in his web? Will Jacob unfathomably recommend something else we just don't understand? (laughs) Find out next week. Same bat day, same bat website. We've received a letter from Batman this morning. Please inform the citizens of Gotham that Gotham City has earned the rest from crime. But if the forces of evil should rise again to cast a shadow on the heart of the city, call me. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Now Playing Batman Movie Retrospective Series. Well, that was very brief. Just like all the men in my life. Part of our DC Comics movie series. Fortune smiles, another day of wine and roses. In your case, beer and pizza. Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week as we review another Batman movie, culminating in a weekend of release review of Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight Rises. My business, repeat customers. And while at NowPlayingPodcast.com, check out our archives where you can find reviews of other comic-based movies, such as Green Lantern, The Avengers, X-Men, Howard the Duck, and many more. If you gotta go, go with a smile. <laughs> you can also listen to our non-comic-based movie reviews, such as Star Trek, Terminator, Halloween, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Tron, and many others. Now that's impressive! You can set your bat phone to subscribe and get every new Now Playing Podcast. RSS subscription details are at nowplayingpodcast.com. What is it you really came here for? While at nowplayingpodcast.com, be sure to join our forums where you can discuss this show with other listeners. Don't talk like one of them. You're not. Even if you'd like to be. You can also follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where the hosts post new episode announcements and written movie reviews. Come on, you gruesome son of a bitch. Come to me. <laughs> the link to our social media pages can be found at nowplayingpodcast.com. Oh, you made it. I'm so thrilled. Support from listeners like you help keep Now Playing operating. So what are we waiting for? Let's consummate a fiendish union. You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. It's not about what I want. It's about what's fair! You can also show your love of Now Playing Podcast by shopping in our store, where you can't get capes and cowls, yet you can buy panties, t-shirts, coffee mugs, calendars, mouse pads, and much more. Alfred, let's go shopping. Yes, Now Playing's Batman Retrospective Series is edited by Brock, Alex, Nick, and Arnie. They scream and they cry. What is your name now? Now Playing credit narration by Brock. I hate when people talk during the movie. Now Playing is not affiliated with Warner Brothers Pictures or DC Comics. Batman and all that DC's infinite Earths contain are the property and trademark of DC Comics, and no infringement is intended. The law doesn't apply to people like him or us. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. This is why Superman works alone. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2012, all rights reserved. Gotta go! So many people to kill, so little time. Suit us up, Uncle Arnie, and give us a plot summary. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, let me take a deep breath. I'm going to need you to hold it in if I'm going to get through this. Oh, but we probably need to put it on mute now. <laughs> oh, it's okay. You'll be fine. So when Nora is diagnosed with the fatal McGregor syndrome. <laughs> You're already laughing over the name of the syndrome? <laughs> yes. <laughs>
It's the memories. I don't either. I don't know where this rage against nipples comes from. I have nipples, Greg. Can you milk me? <laughs> An inaudible Australian in a refrigerator. I mean, Austrian. This, Austrian. Okay, yeah, I'll have to say it again. That would be a far more interesting movie. That said, I can't think of much that would make this movie worse. <laughs> I mean, I'm being serious. <laughs> I don't know how you could make this movie worse other than put it out of focus. <laughs> the crush. I love you and you love me. I, I just <laughs> love her in that. I don't know the movie, but I always know you as reciting it that way and it making me laugh. <laughs> that was just for you, Stuart. Thank you. And Oh, we lost Jacob. He probably missed my wonderful carpool line. That was a good ad line. That was good. That was very unexpected. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those where it's like I was about to make a point and then I'm like, oh wait, that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> I ran this race a couple months ago, and they gave out this, like, I kid you not, it was like a fruit punch energy drink. So oh, I, yeah, I drink those all the time. Oh, my God. I was so f- <laughs> up on that stuff. I went to the gym and, like, worked out until midnight. I did not go to bed until 4 this morning. I woke up at 6, went back to bed, and woke up at 7.30. And oh, I yeah. still am awake. Those are just the tiny ones, right? The little, they taste like a, if you took a peach and rubbed it up your, <laughs> what, what are we talking about? Energy drinks. <laughs> what a way to come back. I know. <laughs> Rub a peach up my ass. You know I thought we weren't going to get into the gay subtext of this film. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> I know the editor's gonna love this part. <laughs> you know, Jacob, when you eat that pizza, it smells like it's been up your. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> oh, anyway, that's we're just describing why we still have so much energy at, at this late hour. Uh, <laughs> Brucey. <laughs> Let's stop before this becomes more discussion about ass-scented peaches. <laughs> this movie's talk? an ass-scented peach. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.